morning. It's good to see you, good to worship with you. Uh, I want to remind you, in case you came in a little bit later, Pastor Dave is in uh, Copper's Cove today, uh, preaching at our sister church, Watershed Church. Uh, We want to make sure that we always remember other churches in our community that, that preach a true gospel, that preach the Word of God. Uh, we, we, I think sometimes in the church world, it's easy to start to see other churches as competitors, but in reality, what we have is churches, we, we are one in faith. Uh, so if we preach the same Bible, we preach the same gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, uh, there are brothers and sisters. So we want to make sure we're always praying for, for, those, for those other churches, uh, which we'll do here in, in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up to the book of Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the bench you're sitting on, uh, and on that will be on page 8 if you're using that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd like to make that Bible that you're uh, sitting on top of a, a gift. Uh, you can have that, keep it, our gift to you. We, we want to make sure people have access to, to God's Word. Uh, today we're talking about the God of promise in Genesis chapter 12. Uh, And I'm just going to give you a a heads up. Uh, In Genesis chapter 12, one of the primary characters we run into is a guy named Abram. Here in a few chapters, God's going to enlarge his name to Abraham. And so just out of my own insufficiency, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be using those names interchangeably. I'm going to be saying Abraham when I mean Abram. If I say Abram, I got it right in Genesis chapter 12. So if I use those names interchangeably, just know that I, I am talking about the same person. I'm talking about Abram, Abraham, same guy. Um, last week, Dave introduced our new series, uh, Father Abraham. We we're looking at the person in the life of Abraham in preparation uh, for our next sermon series to give us a good depth, a good understanding of some biblical history and the idea of, of promises, ideas of covenants. So this morning, Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 9. Let me read this aloud. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse." And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarai with him, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions, and all that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we are not alone in Colleen, Texas. We're not alone in the world. But Lord, you have so many 
other bodies out there who have faith in you, who believe in you, who share a true gospel of Jesus Christ, who preach a true word from the Bible. So, Father, at this moment, as there are churches all over our community preaching truth, we pray, Lord, for strength and, and, and clarity from those ministers of the gospel proclaiming your word. We pray for Dave and Coppersh Cove. And, Father, we pray for ourselves here as we open the word of truth that we might be encouraged, that we might be challenged, that we might be convicted to live a purer life for your namesake, O oh Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we turn to Genesis chapter 12, really the focus of these first nine verses are upon God and the promise that he makes to this man named Abram. So as we go through, we're going to look at three different aspects in this passage. We're going to look at the God of promise, this God that came to Abram. We're going to look at the promise itself, and then we are also going to look at the promise received. We're going to look at the God of promise, the promise itself, and then the promise received. Uh, So first of all, this God of promise, if you look in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says that it is the Lord who came to Abram. And in your Bibles, if it's like mine, the word Lord is written in all caps. So if you're somewhat new to the Bible or you want a little trivia, the reason it is in all caps is because it's trying to let us know what Hebrew word is translated here. Because there are many words in Hebrew that can be translated into Lord. You have words like Adonai. Uh, There's an old song, I think Amy Grant sang it way back when, Adonai. Um, I think it was Amy Grant. I don't know. My memory fails me. But... But Adonai is translated as Lord. You have the uh, words like uh, Elohim that are translated into Lord. But however, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the reason the word Lord is in all caps is because it uses God's covenant name. It's the name that God has said whenever people say, what is your name? This is the name that he has given to his people to say, this is who I am. It's the name Yahweh. This is a name that whenever Moses was wandering in the desert and came upon a burning bush that was not consumed, and the voice of God began speaking out of that bush that said, Moses, I want you to go and free my people from Egypt. And Moses had a question. He said, who shall I say has sent me? And God gave him this name. Tell them that I am has sent you. Tell them that Yahweh has sent you. This is God's covenant making, promise-keeping name that he has given us to know him by. This is the name that is used in Genesis chapter 12. This is the God that came to Abram. If you're like me as a child, I grew up hearing a lot of Bible stories, uh, and it took a long while for me to put all the Bible stories in context. Uh, I'd hear about Daniel. Man, that's a great story about Daniel and the lions. I'd hear about David. That's a great story about David and Goliath. I'd hear about Jesus. But it took a long time for me to understand and see how all these stories we have in the Bible are woven together into one fabulous, glorious story. And so whenever we read about the Lord that came to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, we have to realize that this is not the first time that the Lord has revealed himself in the Bible. So I want to spend a good part of this morning talking about the background of this Lord, of this great I am, of this Yahweh, this covenant 
promise-keeping, promise-making God that we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We're first introduced to this Lord, to this God, in the book of Genesis chapter 1, because we see that the Lord that approached Abram is the same Lord that created all that we know, all that we experience, all that we can see, and all that we cannot see. We see that this Lord, this God, this covenant-making, promise-keeping God spoke the world that we live on into existence, and he filled it with all sorts of living creatures and growing plants and water that is filled with fish and birds that fill the sky. And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that this creator God also created humanity. But humanity is set apart from the rest of creation. Humanity, man and woman, is different from everything else that is on the earth because humanity alone is made in the image and the likeness of God. If you are new to the Christian faith or not in the Christian faith, and you're saying, man, I've always wondered why Christians stand so much for for pro-life issues, this is why. Because we believe that every child, regardless of their race, ethnicity, uh, nationality, wherever they may be, whoever they are born to, are made in the image of God. They are stamped with dignity because they are in God's likeness. Whenever you meet any other human being on this earth, regardless of where you meet them and what circumstance, that human being doesn't have to earn your respect. You give them respect. Why? Because they are made in the image of God. Now, they might, hence, lose respect because of their actions, but humanity has a dignity because we are made in God's image. And the Bible tells us in the first chapters of Genesis that when God created man in his own image, he planted a garden for them on earth. Not all of the garden, not all the earth was a garden, just this one spot called Eden. He planted Adam and Eve here and he gave them instructions. He said, I want you to work this garden. I want you to multiply, and I want you to fill the entirety of the earth. See, the plan here, from what we read in the Bible, is that as Adam and Eve worked the garden, as they multiplied, as they had more children, their children filled the earth, that the borders of Eden would grow, and wilderness would become garden, and garden would become a city, and there would be a world filled with people made in the image of God, giving glory to God, and they would be on God's place, and God would be their king, and they would be their people. What a glorious and beautiful image the Bible paints for us. But we know, according to Genesis chapter 3, that that did not happen. That this covenant-making, promise-keeping God that we see in Genesis chapter 12, who is also a creator God, is also a holy God and a righteous judge. When Adam and Eve lost trust in God and they believed the lies of the serpent and they rebelled against God, God came as judge. God came in his holiness and God's holiness cannot be in the presence of sin. And so he brought judgment. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see this covenant making, this promise keeping God of Genesis chapter 12 beginning to curse the world that he had made. He cursed the land and the soil. He cursed 
man, he cursed woman, and he cursed the serpent. But we see that this creator God, who is holy and a righteous judge, is also a merciful God. Because in Genesis chapter 3, chapter 15, as God is cursing the serpent, he also slides in the gospel. Do you ever realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ is in Genesis? And in God's cursing the serpent, he says this to the snake. He says, I will put enmity, I will put division between you and the offspring of woman. And you shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God gave us a promise that one day a child of Eve, her offspring, her seed, would be born into the world, and that this child would bring war to the serpent, destroy the serpent, and end the curse that God had placed on all his creation. Can you imagine as Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, they began to experience a curse. Can you imagine the hope that filled their hearts when she realized she was pregnant? Because here they are. They used to know and taste heaven and be in relationship with God. The curse and sin broke that. But there is this promise that God gave her that one day your offspring would bring war to the serpent, crush his head, and end the curse. And she had this baby growing within her. I wonder if she thought, is this the one? Is this the one who will crush the head of the serpent? But we know from Scripture in Genesis chapter 4 that that's not the case. That this child that was born was named Cain. And instead of crushing the serpent and ending the curse, he became enslaved to it and he murdered his brother the heartbreak that had to exist in the heart of Adam and Eve because here's the child they thought would end the curse ended up being enslaved to it and not only that, killing their other son. But God is faithful. And I think as people began to multiply and fill the earth, that there's always that hope that any time there was a baby in a womb, a baby born, that there would be hope that maybe this is the one who will crush the head of the serpent, who will bring war on the curse. Look at Genesis chapter 5, a couple pages back, Genesis chapter 5. This is what gives me kind of an indication that this is an attitude and the hope that's going on. Genesis chapter 5, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Even still, as child was born and child was born and child was raised up and children fell to the curse, there was still hope that when a child was born that this is the one that would end the curse even to Noah. And of course, Noah, we can maybe get some hope in, right? Because here's a man who received grace from God. He was righteous apart from the rest of, 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 of the people around him, so much so that when God brought judgment upon the earth, it was Noah and his family alone that was spared. 
And there's this, there's this hope when you're reading through, like, maybe this is the one. But, of course, we know the end of the story, that after the flood waters have subsided and that Noah exited the boat, sin and the curse raised its head and struck again. Abraham or Noah falling into sin, and then not only that, but cursing his own son. And it's there kind of where we get to Abram in chapter 12 when we think, man, all hope is lost. Maybe this promise that God has given us in 315 isn't going to happen. But we see that this creator God who made all that we see and cannot see, this God who is a holy and righteous judge, but who is a merciful God, is also a faithful God. Because then in Genesis chapter 12, we see God coming to the earth again, saying, let me give a promise. In fact, of all the families of the earth, I want it to be known that it is in this one family that the promised child will be born, that will bring war to the serpent, that will crush the head of the snake and end death and the sin of curse of sin. I... I always wonder as a preacher, like how, how do you express in words the glory and the grandeur and the greatness of our God? And I've come to realize words are so insufficient that we can't. We can't explain it. We can't say it. And I wish, man, I could just have a sermon and be like, oh, yep, there's God's glory. There it is. Behold it. Behold our God. But words fall short. But that doesn't keep us from trying. My question for you is, what are you doing in your life to increase the awe and the wonder of our God? I know one of the things that we can do to increase our wonder of God is song. You ever, ever notice how when words fail us and we can't express what we are feeling in words? Sometimes it's, it's the poetry of music that's able to fill that gap. That it lifts our hearts and directs our eyes towards our God. I want to encourage you, Christian, that if you're not a singer, that you become a singer. I think one of the greatest gifts I was given on this earth is, is parents that, that loved music. That whenever I was at home, there was always a song being whistled, a PA hymn, being played on the piano, but music was a part of our lives, not, not an official part of lives, but it, it bled out of my parents to where I could hear it. In fact, I was at my brother's house uh, just yesterday, and uh, he's doing that decluttering thing where you just like go through all your stuff and get rid of as much as you can. And he's like, look, my books, they fit on one shelf. And so I went over there and I was looking at his books, and I found this, this old Bible. It's one of those, those like cheap gift Bibles that they made back in the 80s, and it still exists. And I thought, man, you still have this? And I started flipping through it because I recognized it. And inside this Bible, there was this little sheet of paper, my dad's handwriting on it, uh, and it had different hymns written down with the, hymn, with the page numbers over they were in the hymn book. Because he, he, not a professional, professional musician, was willing in our church to say, man, I'll I'll start the songs if no one else is willing to. Small church of like 20 people, I'll, I'll sing. We, we need to make sure that we as God's people sing and lift up our voices for a few different reasons. One, 
when we sing, it lifts our hearts towards God and it, and it does what our words cannot. It helps us to see the grandeur and the beauty of our God. But also we have to realize that when we come to church together on Sunday morning, that our songs are, are congregational. You are not singing on Sunday morning like you're singing in your car. When you're singing in your car, man, it's for pure enjoyment. It's because what else are you going to do while you're sitting on Tremere, waiting to get to that blasted light down there? But when you come gathered in a church to sing, you are not singing for your benefit alone. You are not singing for God's benefit alone. But you are singing for the benefit of the people who are sitting on the benches next to you. That when they hear your voice, they are reminded that they are not a lone believer in this city, but that there are others who call upon the name of Jesus, who count themselves followers of Christ, who are singing beside you. And their voices ought to give you encouragement as they, you hear them sing, and your voice ought to give them encouragement. Parents, if you have children, your children need to hear you sing. Because you're making disciples. And disciples sing. Let's make disciples that sing. Think another application of, of beholding our God. Yes, songs kind of bridge that gap, but the other thing that we need to do to make sure we're beholding our God is we need to become a people of the book. Uh, you know how everyone kind of kind of has their thing that they're known by. One guy might be a he might be a a car guy. I had this old neighbor that had the most amazing tattoos, and my kids still know him like as the tattoo guy. Uh, he was Irish, and so he had like this white palette skin, and like the colors just popped. Uh, so he was the tattoo guy to my kids. He's a great guy, uh, but everyone kind of has their thing. What? What if, as the people of God, the Bible became our thing? That we became to know it so well that it was like a good friend that we got to go and talk to every day, that, that, that we were saturated in it so much that, it, that we would bleed the word of God. We want to become Bible people, not, not to know trivia, not to, to wow our friends and have all the answers in Sunday school, but we want to know the Bible and let that be our thing because when we read the Bible, we learn more about who our God is and how he operates in this world. That we behold him more clearly. That's why we want to know the Bible. This is the God of the promise that we see in Genesis chapter 12. Let's, let's talk some about the promise that this God gives to Abram. We really see in verses 1 through 3 that there are four parts to the promise that God give, gave to Abram. The first thing we see is that this promise that God gave to Abram was a promise of a place. He said, Abram, I want you to go. I want you to leave what is familiar to you, and I want you to go to a place that you really don't know about yet. It's a place that I will show you. So this promise that God gave to Abram is a promise of a place. Now, I think whenever we go to the New Testament, uh, whenever we are reading the Bible, we always have to make sure that the New Testament explains the Old Testament for us. Because whenever we read about uh, Genesis chapter 12, we think, oh, well, Abram was just wanting a, a good hunting lease, or he's just wanting some good, he wants a good place to, 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 uh, to feed his animals, some good pasture land. 
But when we go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it tells us what Abraham was really looking for when he went out to this place. This is, this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 9. By faith, Abraham, when he went and lived in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder of God. Why did Abram go to this foreign place, this place he didn't know, this land called Canaan? It was because he was not just looking for pasture land. He was looking for a place whose designer and whose builder is God himself. He was looking forward, Hebrews says, to a city. Remember back in Genesis when it talked about how humanity was to, to fill the earth, to expand the garden. That garden was to become a city. What Abram was looking for was a place where God is king. We know that place as heaven. And Christian, I just want to ask you, how much are you looking forward to to heaven. I think oftentimes our mind goes there when we think about death and we lose loved ones. But I want to encourage you that any time you see an injustice in the world, our heart ought to be pricked and we ought to long for heaven to a place whose city is built and designed by God, where God reigns as king, where there is no curse, where there is no injustice, where there is no wrong. Our hope ought to be in heaven and not in a political party or in a candidate. Man, if if your hope's in that, just wait till January and you'll be disappointed. But our hope is in a kingdom of God, a place where he will reign. And it's a place that our hearts ought to always long for and look forward to. Don't get wrapped up in the false hopes of this world and positions, and titles, of possessions, of parties. Let's put our hope in heaven. God promised a place. God also promised a people. And I think this is pretty interesting. In, in, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he tells Abraham, I will make a great nation of you. Now think of how this had to sound to Abram. Here he was, 75 years old. His wife already, if she were here, would be getting social security. And they don't have any children. And God is telling them, I am going to lead you to this place. And I am going to give you an offspring. And that offspring is going to become so large that it will become a great nation. We have to realize also where where Abram was, was coming from. He was coming from Ur and from Haran, where he worshipped this god called Nana. I know, sounds like your grandmother, right? Nana. But Nana was the god of the Chaldeans. It was a moon god that was worshipped, and it was believed that this god was a god of fertility. And for years, Abraham, according to Joshua chapter 24, with his father, worshipped this god. All the while, worshiping this God of fertility while his wife was barren. And here comes God coming into the picture and saying, let me show you how big my grace is. My grace is so large and so encompassing that it will, it will give you 
what your other God cannot. And out of your body, Abram and Sarah, you will have children and a nation. We always have to realize that God's grace to us is greater than we understand, is greater than we can comprehend. One of those old songs that my dad used to lead in our old country church was called Count Your Blessings. And I think that is one of the practices that we as God's people need to be involved in. We need to be able to count our blessings to see the greatness of God's grace in our lives, especially today. I, I know um, many of you have past experiences that make the summer months very difficult, that there are, are triggers in your mind and your emotion that makes you think of, of deployments and of, of, of stress and of lost friends. I know others I was talking to recently that the summer months remind them of another lost loved one, not related to the military at all, but, but a child that died after the summer. And like their memories of summer is of the last memories of their loved one playing in the pool and watching fireworks. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in the hardness of life that we forget how good and how great God's grace is. And so what we need to do is make sure that wherever we are, that we are in the practice and in the habit of counting the blessings of God that are around us all the time. No matter how little they may seem, they are still gifts from our God because God's grace is always bigger than we can ever understand. It's true in the little blessings of life, and it's true in our sin. I know some of you might think, I might follow Jesus, but my sin is too great. That I've gone too far, that I've broken that relationship forever. And Scripture tells us that it's impossible. That God's love for you and His grace for you is greater than your sin. And that you can have forgiveness in Him. As people of God and people of the promise, we need to realize that we have that in our lives. We also realize in Genesis in this promise that it was a promise of a place, it was a promise of people and of God's grace. It was also a promise of, of a great name. We, we see this uh, in Genesis chapter 12 where we just left Genesis 11. If you know Genesis 11, it's the story of the Tower of Babel where uh, people of across the earth came together to build this great tower that was to reach the heavens. Uh, and the reason they wanted to do that is because they wanted to make a name for themselves. They weren't too successful in Genesis chapter 11 because Scripture tells us that they were trying to build this tower to the heavens. However, God had to come down to see the tower. But their goal and their hope was to make a name for themselves. And they failed miserably. And we find that when we try to make a name for ourselves, we too will fail miserably. But here is God in Genesis chapter 12 offering his grace and saying, I will make your name great for you. I will give you a great name. We have to realize that when we believe in Jesus and we are followers of this God of promise, that the name we are given is a great name, that we become co-heirs with Christ. We are like princes and princesses in God's kingdom that he has put his name upon. So no matter what family you come from, it doesn't matter if there is dysfunction in that family, 
and you feel like your name is not worth much, here is God saying, I will make your name great because I will give you my name. It's a promise of making a great name, a promise of a place, a promise of a people. And the ultimate promise in Genesis chapter 3 is that in Abram's family, all the people of the earth will be blessed. All the people of the earth will be blessed. We see the storyline in Genesis to the New Testament, where it was Adam and Eve, then to Seth, we see Noah, we see Abraham of God's faithfulness of keeping his promise to crush the head of the serpent. But when we get to Abraham, that family line continues to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to, to, uh, to Boaz, to Jesse, to David. And as we follow that family line down through history, we end up at Jesus, the child of the promise, who's going to go to war with a serpent who crushed his head on the cross but was bruised in the process. We have to realize that when we are a part of Christ through faith, that we are a part of the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis chapter 12, that we are the peoples of the earth who have been blessed through the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ. And we also have to realize that whenever we participate in missions, whenever we go out and share our faith, that we are once again continuing the promise and taking blessings to the nation. This ought to remind us that whatever we do, whatever your job is, whatever your spheres of influence is in your life, as you go out and you are living your faith out and speaking of the greatness of our God, you're also a fulfillment of that promise of Abraham in Genesis 12 and in Jesus Christ. The calling you have in your daily life is a high calling when it is lived to the glory of God. You're fulfilling the promise that God gave to Abraham. A few last thoughts before we have to end the promise received. Very quickly, we have to realize that when God brought Abram this promise, it was brought in grace. That Abraham did not deserve the promises of God. That he was a pagan worshiping a pagan God in a pagan land surrounded by pagan neighbors. And here is God approaching him saying, let me give you a promise. If you are here today, we need to realize that we also, we have nothing to bring to God. We have nothing to say, look at my righteousness, look at my goodness. But yet God is still standing and offering out a promise to you, saying, Come a part of my family. I will make your name great, and you will have this promise of inheritance of a city where God is king, where the curse has no effect. The promise that God gave to Abraham is a promise of grace that Abraham received through faith and then expressed in obedience. When God gave this promise to Abram, what did he do? He left. He left Haran. He left, he left his father's household, and he went to this land that God promised. We have to ask ourselves, do we believe in the promises of God? Are we obedient to the commands of God? And finally, are we living as pilgrim worshipers? Verses 4 through 9, Abraham goes out among the Canaanites, and he is living 
in his promised land that God has given to him, but he is living there as a pilgrim, as a stranger, as a sojourner. We have to realize as God's people that this world is not our home as it is now. This world is not our home, and we have to make sure we do not hold on to the things of this world as if they are all that will ever be. But realize that we too, like Abraham, our faith is in a coming city where God will be king. And we need to live as pilgrims in this world for the glory of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the promises that you offer us in your word. We thank you for the fulfillment of those uh, those promises in Jesus Christ. I pray, O Lord, that, that we will be a fulfillment of that promise you gave to Abraham and that we would bless those around us and bless all families of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.